Last Sunday morning, while it was still dark, well, the sky was starting to first turn blue. It was like it was backlit by the sun. So even though it was dark on the ground, you could see the pale blue sky emerging. And I stepped out my front door for a little jog down Ward Parkway. And by that, I mean where you walk a block and then jog a block and then walk a block and then jog a block in the dark. And as I got to the house on the corner, just about to turn onto Ward Parkway, I noticed these birds were chirping a lot louder than typical. And I looked up and I was startled to see on the rooftop on the house I was standing in front of an owl about this tall. It was rising up off the rooftop. It was swaying back and forth as, it was, as if it was preparing to dive bomb me. And suddenly, I remember that about this time last year, an owl did dive bomb my husband while he was on an early morning jog. And so I turned on a dime and sprinted at my fastest pace ever all the way back to my house, went inside, retrieved a tennis racket, and gently walked in the other direction with the tennis racket above my head. When Mary and Joanna and the other women navigated the dark streets in the days after the crucifixion of Jesus, they were not expecting to be startled by men in shimmering garments standing at the edge of an empty tomb. The women were perplexed. They were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground. They were shocked when they realized that there were no need for the spices that they were carrying in their baskets to place next to the corpse inside the tomb. If you have come here this morning perplexed or skeptical or wondering how it is that this tale makes any sense at all, you're in good company because no one in Luke's story today actually gets it. The startled women go and report what happened to the other 11 disciples who find it all an idle tale. Peter runs to check it out for himself, and it says that he's amazed, but what does that mean? Amazed that the body had vanished? Amazed that there's no real explanation? Luke, you see, Luke tells us a story of tentative eyewitnesses. They saw him die on the cross. They saw his body wrapped for burial and placed inside a tomb and they saw an empty tomb, but no one saw him rise. No one witnessed the actual resurrection. No one. These two men in dazzling clothes, who are they? Luke will later, a few verses later, refer back to them as angels, and they do seem rather surreal. And later, when people tell the story about the women seeing them, they say that the women saw a vision. So was it all in their minds? Or did the angels actually greet them with the good news? He is not here. He has been raised. These two shimmering men angels report to the women one clue. The clue is remember. Remember how Jesus told you that he would be crucified and on the third day rise again? Why do you suppose these dazzling men angels said again? Why not he told you he would rise? Why did they say rise again? Are they somehow suggesting that raising people up is a habit of God's? 
After the flood, God raised up Noah's family to create a new human community. When Abraham and Sarah were 100 years old, making their deposit on the nursing home, she found out she was pregnant. And God said to them, you will raise up a family more numerous than the grains of sand on the beach. You will have more grandchildren than there are stars in the sky. When Joseph's brother sold him to some gypsies and left him for dead, Joseph rose up to become the vice president of the nation, and his estranged brothers came groveling before him, and God raised up these estranged siblings in this epic family reunion where bitterness melted and hugs and kisses erased the pain of the years of resentment. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the prodigal son came home after gambling away his inheritance in Vegas, and the father raised him up and gave him a great party, saying, look, my son has a brand new lease on life. Maybe the men in shining clothes tell the women, no need to be surprised, remember? God has been raising people for over a thousand years. Or maybe, maybe what Luke is suggesting is that Jesus was going to rise up in many different places and in many different contexts. For this morning, we only read a short snippet of what Luke tells us happened on Resurrection Day. A few hours later, some men are walking along the way on the road to Emmaus when a stranger joins them on the path, and they invite him in, and they sit down, and they break bread, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize this is the risen Christ in their own midst. And a few hours later, some more of his friends are gathered for supper inside a room in Jerusalem. And suddenly, he appears and says to them, peace be with you. And they wonder, is it a ghost? And then Jesus says, can I have a bite of fish? And then he leads them outside, and he raises his hands up over them, and he gives them a blessing, and then he ascends into heaven and vanishes. It would be easier, I think, to believe that Jesus was raised if I had been in one of those groups who saw him later in the day. Pass the bread, Jesus. Hey, would you like a little more refill on your wine? Show me your wounded hands, Jesus. And then he vanishes. But those women at the tomb, they only got a glimmer. Just these men in dazzling clothes and the sight of an empty tomb, just barely a glimmer that God could still be at work in their lives and in the life of the world. Did you know that in Orthodox Christianity, they have this custom of painting the most beautiful icons? The icons are sometimes small and sometimes large, but they show the narrative of Jesus. There's the icon of Mary cradling the infant Jesus. There's the icon of Jesus breaking the bread there's the icon of the crucifixion, but when it comes to the icon of the resurrection, they never portray Jesus by himself. According to Father Jim Freibach, Jesus is always depicted taking a dead person by the hand and pulling that person up out of his or her own tomb. And scholars John and Sarah Crossan remind us that in the Orthodox tradition, they don't even call this resurrection. They call it anastasis, which literally means uprising. 
what happened on Easter is that God staged an uprising. Jesus rose up. It wasn't about biology. It was about this enormous spiritual energy and power infusing them, and this is the only real resurrection that actually makes a difference in your life and in mine. Anna Del Castello told her story on the Moth Radio Hour, and it is published in their recent book. She was touring in the cast of Les Miserables, working as an actress on the stage, performing that beautiful, great masterpiece when she received the phone call that both her father and her brother had been murdered in Miami. She was devastated, even more devastated, because at the moment, she and her father were not on speaking terms, though she dearly loved him. Anna went off this, the stage. She could barely even leave her apartment. She developed a panic disorder. She didn't want to go anywhere, but her friends would come to her, and like that icon of Jesus raising up the dead out of the tombs, her friends would come and retrieve her and take her out for a walk in the park or for breakfast. And one day when they took her out, she said, I've always dreamed of going skydiving. And they agreed that they would all go with her. And the day came for the skydiving adventure. And Anna watched as her friends came down with their faces beaming with joy. And she could hardly wait to get up in the plane. And she was perched there with one foot on the wing, ready to jump, already tethered to the jump master when she panicked and she knew she couldn't jump. And the jump master wrapped his arms around her and he said, Anna, no matter what happens, I promise you, I will get you safely to the ground. And she began to sob and sob and sob and she realized in that moment that on the day that her father and brother died, she had died too and she could jump and live. And so Anna did jump, and on the free fall, before the parachute was opened up, she was overcome by grief and rage and despair. And Anna wrote, I realize that all of us have such love to give, and I didn't give it, and I began to rot inside. The jump freed her to love again. All of us have moments when we too are in a tomb and life seems like it's just plain rotting. Sometimes we are completely powerless to make our lives better. But the God we celebrate this day is the one who has the power to raise us up again. Resurrection is not resuscitation, as if we would breathe life into an old body. And resurrection is not willpower, as if we should be strong like Jesus and get up and get going again, even when we're depressed. That is not resurrection. Resurrection is when God does the impossible, raising us up when we are dead and creating in us a whole new life again. If resurrection does not happen again and again and again, then resurrection is just a dubious historical mystery. Resurrection reveals to us God's way of being present to us in real time and in real space. But I don't mean to suggest by any means that these uprisings that God creates are simply personal and private moments. 
God also raises up communities. Many in our country, both on the left and on the right, hunger for God to raise us up again. You know the ways we rot as a culture. The teenage suicide rate has reached epidemic proportions. 49 million Americans struggle each day to put food on the table, and here in Missouri, one in five children grows up in a household way below the poverty line. And the scientists continue to warn us of impending disasters resulting from climate change. Could a glimmer of hope be enough to propel us? Might God still be able to rise up again? Nicholas Kristof wrote a month or so ago the story of Tawny. Tawny is an eight-year-old boy who immigrated here with his mom and dad from Nigeria. They fled the ravages of Boko Haram, escaping persecution as Christians, and they came to New York City where they now reside in a homeless shelter in Manhattan. The father drives an Uber in a rented car, and Tawny goes to public school where some generous person made it possible for Tawny to enroll in the chess club, though he didn't have the funds. A year later, Tawny became the state champ in chess, defeating everyone in his age group. You might think, well, now that sounds like resurrection, this family coming to a new country and this little boy with his great mind rising up to become the chess champion. But that's not what I'm talking about. After Christoph wrote about the family, donations began to pour in. Someone gave them a car so he wouldn't have to rent a car to drive Uber, and someone provided an apartment so they could move out of the homeless shelter, and other people gave sheets and furniture, and then $250,000 in donations came in so that the family could get a jump start on their new life in a new country. You might think, well, now that sounds like resurrection, the generosity of the community, but that's not what I'm talking about. The family took that $250,000, and though Tawny desperately wants a computer, and the family needs so much, they decided as a family they would not spend one penny of that money on themselves. They would create a fund to help other refugee families arriving in this country so that they too could get a fresh start. That's what I mean by resurrection. God raising up the dead. It doesn't make one bit of sense to me. It's perplexing, it's shimmering, it's so terrifying, that great passion within that family. It makes me wanna bow my head to the ground and shake my head in wonder. Could it be true? Could God still be rising up? Could God even take me and you and all of us out of the rotting places where we sometimes linger and make an uprising out of us. I don't believe that God ever causes any kind of harm or tragedy, but I believe that there is no place so broken that God cannot rise up there. This week, all of us saw this for ourselves when we turned on the news, and we saw Notre Dame engulfed in flames, and we witnessed the spire fall 
on the central nave of Notre Dame. And we saw there that the faithful and the atheist, the young and the old, broke into song, singing the ancient hymns, letting those cries of hope and the longing for new life rise up to God as incense. God was at work in lives beyond any rational comprehension. But the next day, an even greater miracle happened. For in Louisiana, there were three churches that had recently burned, all of them because of hate crimes against these predominantly African-American congregations and the GoFundMe that had been set up to benefit those churches to help them rebuild had plateaued at $150,000. But after the donations from the billionaires began rolling in to rebuild Notre Dame, the donations to those churches in Louisiana skyrocketed, hitting 1.1 million within a few days. God raised up hope and new life through the outstretched hands around the world to heal the brokenhearted. What happened? What happened in that cemetery in 30 AD? Who knows? I don't. But I know that that resurrection was not the first or the last. It keeps happening again and again and again. <laughs>